This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pram. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Eric, it's Wednesday, which means you, sir, are driving the boat. You are in charge of operating this this podcast, so I'm going to just step away. I'll leave you all the editing duties and all that, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you just kind of dictate where this show goes. Wait, I'm editing this too. Is that not is that, that was that not in in the message wow. I sent you earlier? No, I, I, that's new. Okay, well we'll figure it out. Well, hopefully this podcast <laughs> gets out. Hopefully, if, if you're listening to this podcast, it's a miracle because I edited it successfully, which. I, I don't know. I don't know. I've never done that before. So, uh, well, well, hopefully you're listening to this podcast, which means we've done our jobs. But, uh, if not, uh, Matt, Matt gave me a lot to do and I couldn't do it. So, uh, <laughs> that's where we're at. All right. Question number one. Uh, a lot of good questions here. Uh, I, I think obviously some very, very positive ones, some ones that are, I think, kind of looking at the bigger picture. And I think we'll start there. I, I like this question a lot from at Josh Harden for, do you think Cristobal has changed the culture, culture slash mental toughness of the program faster? than expected um expectations are always interesting i guess i would say like in retrospect of like what was the expectation when he took over a couple of years ago but i'll be honest they do feel a little bit ahead of schedule um and 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 maybe that's unfair this is a roster that had some talent i think tagger didn't leave him covered entirely bare right and you know, frankly, Helfrich had some some good recruits and some good players on the roster. Not not incredible recruits, but I still don't know if I expected Oregon in year two under Mario Cristobal to be in this position right now, where they've now beaten Washington twice, and it really looked like we should say when Cristobal was brought on that Washington was was going to kind of surpass Oregon and kind of be the team of the second portion of the decade. And it, and it Washington had a couple of great years. You can't take that away, but. These last two years, you've really seen Oregon win the head-to-head and take an advantage in a recruiting perspective, and I think that is, is a starting point. But just the fact that there's a really good chance they win the conference in year two, I don't want to say I didn't expect that, but I, I don't think it was like a surefire thing. So um, just in terms of the trajectory, I think they're probably a little ahead of schedule. And then in terms of the culture and mental toughness, that's a no-brainer. I mean, like those guys are so bought in. And to me, that's really been where we've seen – things change and, and you just go down the line and talking to players, everybody talks about this culture and this trust and this buy-in and how much they, you know, I think Cyrus Vibilikio said a couple great quotes after the game about how it wasn't difficult for him to pour out his heart and his sweat and everything into the game because he knew the guy to the left of him and the guy to the right of him would do the same. And I think that just sort of speaks to what the expectation is, kind of what the fit is culturally. And you have to really like, what you see, right? I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot you can nitpick. I'm sure there are things you don't like maybe schematically or play calling or some of the in-game stuff sometimes is questionable. But, man, from a culture perspective, from a this team is locked and loaded and focused perspective, this is a different mental team than the one a couple of years ago. You look at that 2016 season in particular where, frankly, Oregon was probably better than quite a few teams, but just mentally they weren't there. That's not happening in 2019. In 2019 – 
this team mentally is so focused and prepared, and I'm hoping I'm not setting us up for a letdown game against Washington State, but right now you have to feel, I think, really, really good about just kind of the direction this program is going, and I do think from a culture and a mental toughness perspective, it is vastly improved um, from when he took over a couple of years ago. I'm with you. Um, I, I'm very impressed with – I mean, you – you go back to 2016 and that team had infighting right. going on. There, there was, there were older players who did not get along with younger players. There were younger players who showed up and expected that just because they wore the green and yellow or whatever color of the week Oregon was wearing at the time that they were just going to win because they were at Oregon. They didn't, they didn't respect the time and the commitment and the dedication that came with it of winning all of those games that the program was built up upon. Um, and now you flash forward to four years, and I think we saw this Saturday after the game was over, right, of the pure joy and the excitement that Oregon's players had, not just to be not just that they beat Washington, but the joy of one another, of of a team rallying behind each other, offense and defense, special teams, and trusting in what the coaching staff was preaching to them and then going out, executing it, and, and coming from behind and beating your rival when you were trailing by 20, 14, 10 points at different points in the second half and doing it on a big stage. And I, I think... I'm with you that this team, they are mentally tougher now. They are, uh, they have gone through some tough times and I think they, that has certainly created a, a, a sense of armor, if you will, on, on this program. But Crystal Ball has demanded a lot from this group. Uh, and it's starting to pay off in terms of, you know, guys are holding, you know, their, their counterparts to a certain standard. And if they fall below that, they get called out and they're policing themselves. And, you know, guys are, you know, are talking about how they haven't lost, uh, uh, they haven't beaten Washington State and that they don't want what happened last year of coming off an emotional high and beating Washington and then going and laying a dud at Washington State and, and looking terrible. Uh, you know, they don't want to do that. And, you know, guys are, are talking, you know, saying the right things. And now more importantly, they're doing the right things. Like, I see everything that this team has, the, the love for one another, the commitment, the buy-in. There really isn't any clicks. I mean, obviously every group, is, every team's going to have, you know, guys are going to hang out with their main groups. But for the most part, like, you, you see guys on both sides of the football from different ways of life interact and be friends and I think that's all based upon you know a lot of the stuff that we see from Oregon in the offseason on social media and you know the, the off off campus excursions that they do the team bonding stuff that they do you know and that's all mentally preparing for this team to be ready for for basically what we saw on Saturday you know you hear terms like family and brotherhood said about a football team, and I think sometimes you're skeptical and, and you think that sounds hollow. I, I think you're starting to see on a regular basis, and I think especially after that Washington game, just how everybody came together and players were crying, players were hugging, players were obviously exuberant. Um, that The whole family and, and brotherhood perspective 
doesn't feel fake or doesn't feel disingenuous with this group. It really does feel like, and I think that's really where it starts. And I know you've written about that in the past. And I just think you're starting to see what that looks like, you know, more clearly, you know, which with each and every coming week of just, it feels like a special group that, that really has come together and, and cares about each other and wants to hold each other accountable and wants to ultimately succeed and get the most out of each other. So, I think, yeah, just back to the original question, there's a lot of, we both said a lot of different things, and I think uh, hopefully a lot of good things, but, uh, I, I do think that this, this, this program feels like it's headed in the right direction, and I think a huge amount of that is due to Coach Cristobal and just instilling the right culture. I think it's the right word, the right culture, the right yeah. family, the right brotherhood amongst his players, because you, you feel that when you talk with them, and you, and you feel that when you watch them on the field. So, um, I think a good, good question, a good place to start. The podcast for sure. Uh, second question is from at Brockness Monster. Any chance we, sh- we see Sean Dollars get into action a bit this year? The burst is there with him. Would love to see a Cyrus Dollars one-two punch. Um, I will let you start with that one, Matt. I don't think so. Yeah, same here. I mean, it, it not to, to be quick and, and short, but I don't, I don't think so. I mean, Cy- we've kind of seen the three guys, right? Cyrus and Die and Verdell. I mean, they're already trying to, you know, trying to figure out a role for Darian Felix. But look, I think the reality is this, is that only so many guys can play and only so many guys can get touches and you're not doing anyone a, uh, a positive by trotting out four or five different players at the running back position and all of those guys getting four or five carries per game. I, that just doesn't that help doesn't help anybody. And at the same time, I don't necessarily think that the run game at least the last two or three weeks is broken. Like, yeah, there's not one guy that's, you know, doing a bulk of the of the of the load and, you know, there's not a guy that's going for, you know, a hundred yards every every game and scoring two touchdowns. But as a group, as a trio, this group is putting up impressive numbers week in and week out as a collective. And I don't, I, don't, I just don't think that you, you go away from that. Yeah. I, I, I know people get excited by the recruits and, and the stars. And I think Sean Dollars has a good ceiling. I think he's got a bright future at Oregon, but I just don't see why you miss like kind of what you're saying, miss with a good thing. And Oregon right now, it feels like, you know, a while ago it was like, what's, what's wrong with the run game. And right now it feels like kind of the opposite. It's like, what isn't working at certain times. And I don't know if you want to miss with it, mess with it too much. And you currently, and we talked about this yesterday, on a, I guess it was Monday's podcast, just about you now have three pretty high caliber backs in Verdell and Dai and in Cyrus Vibilicchio, and they all do things a little differently. And I think you have to kind of ride with those guys. And sure, I know it's attractive to get these true freshmen out there and see them do stuff, but like, there's a reason he's not out there, right? And, and there's a reason that they're going with these current players. And and I understand calling for changes when 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 the situation is bad or the things aren't working out. But right now it feels like kind of an inopportune time to really try to make some drastic changes and and throw a true freshman out there. So I, I agree, Matt, in terms of just like I, I don't I don't see it, I don't get it. I, I think you either redshirt Sean Dollars or or you play him on special teams. But I don't think you just thrust him into the spot unless, look, maybe he earns his right to do that. But uh, I think for right now, I think you feel pretty good about what's going on. And in terms of a one-two punch, I think Oregon has a couple of different 
ways of attacking a defense and certainly a variety of one-two punches, and I don't necessarily think you have to include Sean Dollars in that to get the, the required I, And I don't think that's a, an indication that Dollars isn't good. Exactly. Like, it, it's just a sign that, hey, like, there's three guys that are older than him and have experience mm-hmm. in the system and that are performing, you know, as a unit at a high level. And Dollars is just going to have to wait his turn, which is basically – the, the, the situation that ha- happens in, in life and in, in football at in most situations, you don't just show up. Everyone just doesn't show up and instantly becomes, you know, the number one guy. Very rarely does that actually happen. You know, and, and Mario made a good comment on Monday of when I asked him about Cyrus and he said something. Um, I, mean, I, I actually think I have the quote pulled up. Uh, we're in the world of instantaneous everything. And football is still a developmental sport and always will be. He said, he said that about Cyrus W. Lakio. And I think you can kind of, I'm not, we're not saying that Sean Dollars is upset that he's not playing. I'm sure he is, but he probably also understands, you know, he's got to weigh his time. He's got to get better. He's got to, you know, get, you know, hone in on some certain things and, and whatnot. Um, but we live in a world where if you instantly aren't great, you just kind of get pushed to the side or you get doubted and, you know, I think Cyrus is a good example of that, and that that's not how life works. And you know, not, not to get too big picture on you, but that you guys have to put in time. They have to get better. They have to wait. Sometimes simply just wait their turn uh, for their opportunity, and then when everything aligns up, you've got to execute. And for right now, for dollars, it's waiting his time and getting better, so that when the situation does arise, which could be because of injury, could be because graduation. Could because he just drastically gets better and is is better than a guy ahead of him. He then has to execute. Third question is also about the running back position from at B Rich two hundred one. Any chance they will go after a higher higher rated running back in this recruiting class? No, um, I, I agree. I, I I don't from a, just from a pure numbers perspective. Oregon's pretty tight scholarship wise right now. They already have Trey Benson who obviously they like quite a bit. Um, I don't necessarily think, based upon the roster construction, I don't, I don't should say I don't think, I don't believe based upon the current roster construction, another running back is warranted. Um, you look at the way the team is right now, they've got four sophomores at running back and two true freshmen uh, and another, another freshman coming in at Benson. That means that they would have already seven scholarship running backs that are junior class to freshman class there. Do you really need an eighth guy? I, I don't no. necessarily think you do, and especially yeah. when a bunch of these guys are like we've talked about. Like you've got good running backs on this roster. I know. I know it's maybe not exactly what everybody wants all the time, but like I just find it also kind of funny that these questions are coming the week after what we saw from Cyrus Hibbelikio, who was kind of a revelation, and we've now seen Verdell play at a really high level, and, and see Travis Dye has had some great moments running the football. I, I just think you feel really, really good about where you're at. The direction these players should get better. Um, I, I don't see why you would mess with it, to, to be honest. I mean, and, and I guess maybe in, in a perfect world, maybe you'd, if, was, if Kendall Milton called and said, "Hey, I want to go to Oregon," you'd probably have to consider it. But I, I don't think they need to necessarily go actively change what they're doing. It. Yeah, go be proactive in that in regard. And, and the reality is this: is that Oregon is not an operation right now. I mean, yes, Oregon wants to score on every drive. Oregon wants to score on every play, but that's not the reality of who they are. 
And that there's nothing wrong with that. And at the same time, you know, football is, I, I think scoring 50 points a game, you know, that's, you know, I, I think the top three or four teams in the country will do that. But, call, you know, football is starting to balance itself out, especially in the Pac-12. I mean, the defenses are getting better because they're hiring coaches that are defensive backgrounds or that are spending more of their resources, a mainly dollars for their their assistant salary pool on talented assistant coaches that on they're on the defensive side of the football. I mean, think about it. Oregon's a juggernaut right now on defense. Washington under Peterson's a juggernaut on defense. David Shaw at Stanford is a juggernaut on defense. Uh, Utah under Kyle Whittingham is a juggernaut on defense. And now you've got a guy like Herm Edwards who at Arizona State is turning uh, that team into a, a juggernaut on defense. That's five. Justin Wilcox at, at Cal, I, I, I think – you could say that the, you know the last two years they've probably been a juggernaut defensively, especially with the you know the offense that they've been dealt with and and how they operate. That's half the league right there. And if USC gets things figured out, you know when USC is good, they're good on defense. You know and that that's half the league that that are you know I think probably you know top twenty five, top thirty defenses in in the country. And you know we've seen at times Washington State put out a really good defense. We've seen when when uh, Oregon State is good, which hasn't been in a long time, but when they are, they have a good defense. And the league is is gearing up towards, you know, is catching up defensively. And so I think scoring the 50 points every time is is going to be different. And people are looking at, at, at this offense like, oh, well, the running backs aren't scoring four or five touchdowns a game, so there's problems. Uh, we need to find a, bigger, a better running back. And I, I – I'm not saying that these backs are perfect because they're not. You know, I think C.J. Verdell has difficulty finding the holes or cu- or the cutback lanes. I, I think before Washington, Cyrus didn't show uh, a ton of explosion in his play, but we're starting to see that develop with him. The last two weeks for C.J. Verdell, his vision is starting to improve. Uh, Dye has had fumble issues this season, but the last two games he's played well uh, and hasn't fumbled the football. Uh, you know, I, I, they're not perfect, but I don't think – they're also terrible either. I, I, I don't buy into that and, and the idea that Oregon needs to go out and all of a sudden uh, try and add an eighth running back. And then for this season anyways, like who would you rather be handing the ball to? Oregon's three running backs that they've got? Or would you rather shade a little bit more towards Justin Herbert and letting Herbert throw the football? I mean, they scored five touchdowns against Washington State. And yeah, the run game only scored one, but... Think about all the big plays that Herbert made in the passing game because they shaded a little bit towards him. This next question also is Herbert related, so I will transition naturally to that. From at Tim Reeves 44, great win, excited by this team, but how much of this offense is affected by Justin Herbert's conservative nature? He just doesn't seem like a guy who loves throwing bombs. Maybe that's a result of his first couple of years at Oregon. So Matt, I will let you kind of start there as well, since that was kind of along your train of thought about how well Herbert had been playing. Do you think, is he conservative in terms of, do you watch him and think he doesn't trust his arm or, or doesn't want to go deeper? What do you see from him? From oh, I, I think there's, I, I, I think there's been a ton of instances where it's kind of like, what, what are you doing? Why are you throwing that? Like, that's too aggressive. I mean, he, I mean, I, I think Herbert's got pinpoint accuracy and, Sometimes that can almost be a uh, a negative because he thinks he can fit 
some balls into some really, really tight windows. Uh, now this season that hasn't led to a, a ton of turnovers. He's only done it once and, uh, in terms of throwing an interception and it was on one of those types of throws where it was like four defenders and he's going to, you know, rifle the football through all four of them. And unfortunately I think like the third guy got to it and picked it off against California. But you're nip, I mean, I'm, I'm nitpicking here. He's, he's thrown one interception. Um, I, I think Oregon staff the last couple of weeks has really opened things up. And I also think, and, and we've seen more deep shots. I mean, I, I also think that, or in, I, I shouldn't say deep shots, because I think there's some creativity in taking some risks, like with the Micah Pittman touchdown on fourth down, like that screenplay, that was a really aggressive screen. And while they threw the ball behind the line of scrimmage, it was still a, an explosion play set up for big, you know, play action, big yardage, whatnot. And so I, I don't think you just have to rifle the ball down 30 yards down the field to, to say that they're, you know, putting together an explosive offense. You can, you can be explosive with a short passing game too. Um, I, I think the last three weeks, California, uh, a little bit and then Colorado certainly and then now Washington. Um, Herbert's had some really good games, and I, I think coincidentally that's because o- Oregon's receiving core has all of a sudden gotten healthy, and they've added three more guys into the rotation, and they're able to do more things. I mean, go look at look at Herbert's you know, the last three games uh, that he's had: 214 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He threw 33 balls. Uh, against Colorado, he, he completed 56 of his passes for two touchdowns. He threw 32 attempts. And then against Washington, 63% completion percentage. He attempted 38 passes, 280, 280 yards, and four touchdowns. So his attempts are going up compared to where they've been the rest of the season, uh, per, from a per game perspective, uh, in, in my mind. And his, his, you know, his production's going up every game. I, I do understand the uh, initial point to a certain perspective because I was just pulling up the long scrimmage pass completions for the season. Oregon has two plays over 40 yards and eight over 30. Um, those aren't ex- particularly uh, explosive numbers in terms of the conference. Those b- both rank 11th uh, in the Pac-12. So maybe you are a little surprised in terms of the vertical passing game. And, and a lot of what Oregon does and has success doing has been kind of in the screen game and a little bit underneath. At the same time, I don't think that's Justin Herbert holding them back. And I think, like you said, I think he has tried to take some deep shots. They just haven't had a lot of success with them. And I think part of that is the receivers, right? I mean, like, a, a lot of the guys he was looking at deep before the season weren't playing. A lot of the guys he would have liked to, I should say, weren't playing early on in the season. And then Jacob Breland, who had been a guy he had, I think the longest connection on the season is actually a pass to Jacob Breland. Um, he's now out for the season. So some of it is receiver related. Uh, he tried a couple times against Washington to go down the field, uh, just without success. I mean, he had a long pass to Jawan Johnson, uh, that was broken up. That was a pretty good pass. It probably wasn't perfect, but, um, I don't I know. I think you could have argued that he was passive. He was interfered too. Yeah, I think he could as well. I, but I don't know. I, I think I get the inclination in terms of like the stats would say maybe he doesn't throw it deep very effectively just in terms of like the number of long pass plays, but, I'd also say, like, that's not, from what I've seen, like, a, it's not like he's not taking shots. I think he has taken shots. They just haven't had a lot of success. And to be fair, like, I'd rather have him complete some high percentage passes that go for 15 yards than try to go for a 50-yard pass play frequently and have those maybe be completed at a 20% clip 
because those are going to be plays that potentially end drives or at least stall out drives. So um, I think an interesting question. I think some some decent point there in terms of they just haven't had a ton of success going deep. But I also think like I don't watch Justin Herbert play and go that guy's too conservative. Maybe I'm in the minority. I think Matt agrees, but. Um, you know, I'd actually, I'd like to hear from fans if that's, if that's like a consensus thing. Do people think Justin Herbert's too conservative? Or, or is that just a, a vocal minority of people? Because that hadn't been a thing I'd even, to be honest with you, really considered, uh, before I saw that question. Alright, let's take a break here. Um, at the midway point of the mailbag from questions from Duck fans going in. A lot, a lot of football, I think, but I think we have, uh, maybe a couple basketball questions or maybe one at least, uh, since basketball season's right around the corner. But let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast with Matt Bream and Eric Scopel. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me, as always, driving today's bus. Eric, question number five, I lead to you. Well, I haven't driven this thing into this off the side of a cliff so far, so that's that's, that's good. good. That's uh, good. Now, you teased this a little bit before the break. Uh, we do have a hoops question, and we'll start uh, the second half of the podcast with one of those from at Altman Fever. Got a hoops question. We know Pritchard starts, but who are the other four starters and who are the top three go-to scorers this season? Matt, in part because you're kind of the hoops guy, why don't you go ahead and start this and kind of, I agree, obviously Pritchard does start. The issue with Enfale Dante probably kind of changes some things out in terms of the front court, but if you're predicting right now, and we should say Oregon starts its season in a not too distant Two weeks. future, uh, who do you think kind of starts that first game and, and then the second part? Just who's who are some guys that they should know from a scoring perspective? Yeah, a, a week from today, uh, Oregon is having their green and yellow scrimmage on October 30th. And then two weeks from yesterday, uh, Oregon will open the season on November 5th at home against Fresno State. So, yeah, we're, we're right around the corner to basketball season starting. Uh, and this is where our lives, Eric, get hectic, so – Tell your family goodbye and that you love them. Um, from who starts, I think I don't think Infalli Dante was ever going to to start out of the gates. I think oh, that was going family. that was going to be Francis Okoro. Um, I think that falls there. Uh, from there, I, I, I Altman trusts experience, and I look at Shakur Justine, a, a graduate transfer at the forward spot. I think. Chris Duarte, a, a, a JUCO, uh, number one JUCO player in the country last season as a junior. I think those two guys are going to start. And then it comes down to what 
what will the style of, of play be for Altman early on? What does he want? Uh, what does the matchup present? Do they need to be a little bit bigger? Do they need to be uh, a little more agile shooting? Uh, you know, have, have a little bit more perimeter shooting. And I think that last starting spot will fall, I think, on Anthony Mathis, a graduate transfer who's a senior, and then the complete opposite spectrum who's a guard. Uh, CJ Walker, a freshman forward, former five-star recruit. Uh, I, I think the fifth spot will be a battle between those two guys. And quite honestly, it could, it could rotate between, you know, between matchups and who they play. Uh, I, I think both guys present different strengths to the table. Um, you have different reasons for why they could start. And so I think that's kind of your, your, your six. Uh, who are the go-to scorers? Is that was that part of the question too? That, yeah, that was the second half. Was th- three go-to scores? Uh, I, I I think Pritchard obviously is one. Um, I I think Duarte. I I, I think Duarte is gonna be another one. Uh, that that's gonna be you know one of the the guys that that scores a lot of the points. And then I I think it's gonna be Shakur Justin uh at the forward spot. I I, I really like his ability to you know. Take guys off the dribble, kind of be that mismatch, Elgin Cook, Dylan Brooks type of, you know, Paul White, uh, you know, type of a hybrid forward that can you know, draw you outside and blow by you or have the size to post up smaller, smaller wings or, or guards if he's matched up against him. Let's do one more just question. And this isn't on the thing here, but Matt, what do you think of the AP poll came out? Oregon was 15th. Uh, do, do you feel like that's a, kind of the right range of where they should have been ranked, or kind of what was your take when you saw that? Yeah, come out? I think if Infale Dante was here, um, I would probably say they probably should be a little bit higher, like 12 or, or 11. Um, I don't think they are a team that's going to fit inside of the top eight, and I view those teams as like your preseason favorites to win it all. I think teams nine through 15 are the teams that you look at as like, hey, like the, if you wanted to throw some money down on a value bet for a Final Four, you know, surprise team, these would be good choices to take. Um, I, I think Oregon has a ceiling of getting to the Final Four. Um, it's going to take some work, though. I think it's it's considerably more work, more questions than, you know, your team's ranked in the top eight. Uh, they've got, you know, but they've also got the ability to, you know, Losing that first weekend of the NCAA tournament too, if things don't go correctly. Uh, so I think they're, they're right about where they should be, um, in, in terms of the top 15, top 25 poll, especially with Infala Dante not, uh, being on the team for the first nine games. All right. Question six from at JD High Roller. I have a horrible feeling at some point in this season, the game is going to come down to the leg of Camden Lewis. Although Cristobal has done everything in his power to not let that happen yet, the football gods are bound to test us at some point. What say you? Um, sure. I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, in terms of games come down sometimes if they're competitive to a kick here, a kick there, a play here, a play there. And sometimes it is, can a place kicker make a field goal? And again, Oregon hasn't really been tested that much this season. And, and Lewis has not been, Really up for the challenge at certain spots. I know there's been issues with holds and, and certain things, but um, he's had a, a tough start, and I think that does have to be concerning. At the same time, like to me, that kind of reminds me of, and maybe this is like not a fair comparison. Do you remember after Memphis lost to Kansas in the national championship game like 10 years ago because I couldn't make a free throw, 
And right. after the game, Calipari was like, free throws is like 45th on the thing that we recruit. You know what I mean? Like it's not a thing that we like, we prioritize. And I'm not saying the kicking game is not a thing Oregon prioritizes, but to me, if like, if your big concern about Oregon winning football games is can they, do they have a kicker who make a field goal? Like that means your team's pretty good, right? I mean, that means you have a team that doesn't have a whole lot of holes. And if you're, if you're focusing and devoting all your time to <laughs> does this kicker have the leg to make a kick at the end of a game? Like, I understand the concern. I think it is warranted, but I also would say like that means Oregon's doing a lot of things right. If that becomes a, a main priority, and I'll, I guess I would pose this question to you, Matt: Do you also share concerns about Camden Lewis if there is a, let's say, a, a game tying or a game winning kick, or maybe just a key kick in the fourth the fourth quarter to keep Oregon competitive? Like, what's your confidence level right Absolutely. now? Personally, I, I yeah, think if, but, if Oregon had to to trot out a Camden Lewis to kick a game-winning field goal. I mean, I was asked this question uh, from the guys at Dogman up before last weekend's game up at Washington. Uh, if if Oregon was thrust to ask Camden Lewis to go kick a game-winning field goal or a kick to send it to overtime, you know, with two or three seconds left in the football game, but yeah, I, I would have very little confidence in that actually happening. And no offense to Camden Lewis, it's not that I don't think he can do it. It's just we haven't seen it, and you know there's been such a, a a low number of field goal attempts this season. He's missed a majority of them. That yeah, you you have doubts. You you, know, you don't know what you've got yet in Camden Lewis. You know his sample size is very small, and 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 so yeah, if if Lewis had come out and you know in the first six games he'd made a field goal for every game, and right. and maybe if he was like six of ten. You know, going into this week, like I, I would, I would still feel a heck of a lot better. But just because, and it's not, and that's not a good percentage for a field goal kicker, six of ten. It's just that you've seen it before, and whereas now it's like it, it's the unknown, right? Like we just don't know. Now, granted, like you made a great point about you know the free throw analogy is just Oregon right now has has done a really good job where that just hasn't come into play, and. If you're the team you think you are, you won't need that situation. But yeah, if it does pop up, yeah, you're gonna have some some doubts, no doubt about it. Yeah, and and, and I think that's where you land. Of you hope that doesn't the situation. Maybe like the the question asked, maybe the football gods will come into play here, and there will be a game on the schedule where it comes down to a kick. But I also say you feel pretty good. I think just about from a full team perspective of just winning football games, regardless of who your place kicker is. All right, question seven from at Simon Shum 90. Is Justin Herbert in the Heisman Trophy conversation? How well does he have to play for the rest of the season to actually have a legitimate chance of winning it? I would say, if I'm being totally honest, like I've got Heisman odds up right here. Um, this is from our Odds Shark. Uh, currently, Joe Burrows of LSU is plus 125. Jalen Hurts of Oklahoma plus 190. Tua's at plus 400. Justin Fields at plus 900. Those are your four guys that have a really good chance to win it. And then Jonathan Taylor plus 1600 is fifth. Herbert is sixth, but he's plus 6000. And that's a pretty steep drop in terms of trying to get into the conversation. I think he's somebody who like, look, I'm not shocked at all if he ends up being one of the guys that they send to New York as a finalist for the award. Like that wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. At the same time, I don't know if I would say that there's a legitimate chance of him actually winning this award. Do you agree, Matt? Um, I think he's got a chance to get invited. That's where I'm at. 
uh, I, I don't think he's going to win it. And, you know, it was going to require them to win, you know, go undefeated, I think, in the regular season, win the conference championship, you know, or, or, or total chaos or some, you know, go 11 and 1 in the regular season and him put up some astronomical, you know, statistics, uh, throwing the football and running the football. But I think he can get invited. I think he could make it to New York. Um, I, I, the more games that they win, uh, you're certainly going to, see his stock increase. I mean, the West, there's really no one on the West Coast uh, that could steal votes. And, I mean, so so if Oregon goes 11-1, and one, beats Utah, and, you know, he has, he had a big game against Washington on primetime. Uh, he does the same thing next week at USC on 5 o'clock on Fox. You know, has a big game there. Uh, against Arizona State, he does it again. Um, and then in a conference championship game against Utah, he has a huge game. Yeah, like I, I could see him scrounging up a, enough votes to, to get sent to New York for the award. But uh, at this point, winning it, I don't feel confident. You know, it's a quarterback's award, and I just pulled up kind of the comparative stats of the guys I mentioned earlier who have a really good chance of winning it. Herbert's stats are pretty impressive, but they're not quite at that same level. Like you look at the quarterback rating, or Oregon's uh, Justin Herbert is 160, or sorry, 165.3. Hertz is 226.1. Joe Burrow's 216.2. Tua is 212.4. Justin Fields is 190.2. They're the top four uh, nationally in that category. Herbert is all the way down at 12th uh, with his number. So he he has great stats. I mean, his 21 touchdowns to one pick is super impressive. But like if you compare it to what the other guys are doing. It's pretty similar. Justin or uh, Jalen Hurts, twenty touchdowns, three picks. Joe Burrow's twenty nine touchdowns, three picks. Two at twenty seven and two, and Justin Fields twenty two and one. So they're all kind of right in that same discussion. So he can put up great passing stats. He already has. I, I just think there's a lot of way, you know, a lot of work to do. A because he's not playing in one of these premier conferences that has a lot of the attention on it. Where frankly, the winner usually comes. And B, because, like, even statistically, he's not – like, I think for him to get the award, he'd have to statistically be cl- the clear-cut best quarterback, and it wouldn't even be able to be close. Currently, he's not – you can't say that about him. You just can't based upon the numbers. I think if if he – the way he started the first four games of the season, I mean, against Auburn, 75% completion percentage. He only threw one touchdown, but he was – you know, he threw for 240 against Nevada, five touchdowns, 73% completion percentage, 300 yards – Passings, you know, Montana again, another 300 plus passing game, 70 plus percentage completion, five touchdowns. And then against Stanford, he threw for three, uh, had 79% of his completions and threw for almost 260 yards. Like if, if that type of a, of a performance continued against California and, uh, against Colorado, uh, and, and to an extent against Washington, um, yeah, then he be he would be he would have a better chance, but he's just not there. He can get invited, but to to win to win the award, he would it would take a lot of work. It, it would take a ton of work, and he'd have to be basically perfect. Oregon would have to be perfect, and like I said, those guys ahead of him for the award would have to have some some down moments here. All right, last question from at Manister Duck. Number one, there was a ton of celebration post game from Oregon. Die doing the down W and snow duck on the U of O W, all the players partying. Do you like this type of celebration where it's like we haven't been there before? And two, could it lead to a letdown? Um, I'll start off by saying I don't know if I agree with 
the second part of the first question of of uh, do you do you like the type of celebration where it, it feels like we haven't been there before? I, I don't know. Do you like do you do you want your players not to be exuberant and excited after a big win? Like I, I don't necessarily know if that like wh- why do players that I don't know, like, what is your expectation after a game that they're just going to go through the handshake line and, and leave? I mean, like, I don't know. Personally, I didn't have a problem with it. In fact, I really liked seeing it. I think it showed how much these guys cared. And like we said earlier in the podcast, that we saw Cyrus and Likio was crying. You saw the embrace between Cristobal and Troy die. It was very evident that these guys just had worked really, really hard to get to this point. They succeeded, and they were really, really, you know, buzzed about it. They were buzzing. They were they were pumped about the victory. Um I think the second point in that question, the second question I think is a really valid one. Could it lead to a letdown? Um, absolutely, you know, there can be a letdown game this week, right? It makes sense. It happened last year. Last year, Oregon had a, you know, a, an emotional, hard-fought overtime win over Washington. The next, next week up in uh, Pullman, they laid a total egg and, and lost to Washington State in a game that wasn't particularly competitive. Um, could there be a similar thing this year? Sure. But I'd also say this is a, a group of players that, have never beaten Washington State, and I'm sure they're very much aware of that fact. And I don't think they want to conclude, especially for the senior class, their careers being the group that uh, lost to Washington State every year. You know, Washington State has not, prior to this run, uh, they, they've never won five over Oregon. They've won four in a row this year. You know, this 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 group, and then there, I think that was four in a row in the 70s and th- four in a row also in the 50s. But they've never gotten to five straight. I don't think this Oregon group wants to become the first group that loses five straight to Washington. Do you? Yeah. I, I have no problem with, with what they did. And quite honestly, I think some of this stems from just the way, you know, Washington may have acted the last couple of wins uh, against Oregon. And, you know, go back to 2016 and Jake Browning. A lot of these guys are that are on this team that celebrated very, you know, profoundly at Washington – we're on that team in 2016 when Washington, I, I think it's fair to say they kind of ran it up on Oregon. Yeah. You know, going back to, to that football game and, uh, I know, you know, Jake Browning had the point in the, in the, in the first half of that game where, you know, Oregon's defender missed him and he pointed at him as he was going into the game to, uh, into the end zone to score. Um, I, so yeah, I, I, I certainly think, uh, some of these guys had some issues with with how you know Washington. I mean, they were throwing the football with Jake Browning up 63 to 21 in that football game in in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, early fourth. So I I, I certainly think I think you always want to see your players be emotional. I mean, I mean, guys don't realize like people don't realize that the commitment and the time and the effort that's put in week in and week out to win a football yeah, game. Absolutely. And and then, you know, all that time and then your the sacrifices you have to give up from a from a physical standpoint. I mean, how beat up some of these guys are to not show some emotion and some excitement and be excited of of where things are going for Oregon like, you know, for your team. I have no problem with that. Now, granted, you can't act that way and then lay a dud the the following week. Like that's just poor form in terms of where you are as a program. Now I don't expect that to happen at Oregon this season, uh, but I, I, I would certain I don't think to answer the question I don't think there's going to be a letdown this week. Uh, but I have no problem with with the way they celebrated. I think that's that's going to do it for us on the Austin Audible's podcast this week. Again, 
continue to send us your questions. We thank those that did. Uh, if we didn't get to your question, maybe we'll, we'll in- include it in next week's podcast if it's, if it's still relevant for a Wednesday. Uh, but for Eric Scopel, uh, myself, Matt Prem, thanks for listening to the Ops and Audibles podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Adios, amigos. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.